Welcome to Rafa. Glad to have you with us today. Um, you might have found this teaching on our internet, which is Rafa Ministries World. If so, I would encourage you to go back to the website and look at some of the free things we have there. Well, it will be a blessing to you. There's our Bible Answer Man program uh, that have been archived, and also there's other uh, pieces of information such as uh, teachings and CDs that you may find interesting uh, to for your perusal. So I would encourage you to search that out. Good to have you with us today. We want to look into one of the what I believe one of the most important subjects you will find because it lets us look into the heart of God. And I've titled this, How Sins Are Processed for Reconciliation with God. How Sins Are Processed for Reconciliation with God. And all of these things are necessary for us to get reconciled to God once sin has taken place in our life. There was a beautiful old hymn that was written in the late 1800s, and it goes, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sins and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was slain. Grace, grace, God's infinite grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. What a beautiful old hymn. I, I love the old hymns. They were written under an anointing that uh, just makes us treasure those. I wish pastors would use more of them. 1 John 1.8 says this to us, the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle John, If we say we have no sin, that's a singular rendition, we deceive ourselves, and here deceives where we say if we have no, if we say that we don't have any sins, we deceive ourselves. And deceiving here says we don't have a fixed foundation. We don't have something from which we can make a quality decision. If we deceive ourselves, we, we, there's no way to come back. So we, at some point, we're going to have to de deceive with, uh, de deal with the deception because there's, uh, again, in this deceiving, there's a uh, seducing part to that of the soul. And in verse 9 of that, 1 John 1 says, If we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, plural, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dissecting this, it says, if. That's a, that's a question mark. We, if we choose to. If we choose not to, most of the time we'll choose to. If we confess, this is to make a considered declarative statement to agree and submit to what God has already said on the subject. We're confessing what God has already considered and what he has said on the subject. This is a, this is a changing of our mind from our perception to God's perception. It says he is faithful and just. Faithful there means that God in the Greek is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You put your faith in him, you can have trust within him. And it says and he's not only faithful, but he's just. And this is God's will. He, he's, he's just and he makes a judgment and he bases that judgment upon his divine standards 
how he innately in his composition deals with justice or from a human standpoint. So God looks at him, the being faithful and just from both the divine standpoint and also recognize that he must look at it also from a human standpoint and take a great, a certain amount of our frailties into that. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And there in this forgive us our sins, sins there is plural. He's dealing with all of those because one sin does not constitute the totality of it. There's always collateral sins involved and hidden sins uh, provocative sins, sins that are included in the sin requests that we're dealing with. And it says then, and he to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just go through that casually. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansy there is a, in the Greek is a total perfect cleansing. We, we, in the natural, there's no way that we can experience a perfect cleansing. Only God can show that to us. It's totally, and it is forever a cleansing. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the condition uh, of not just not being right in the thing, but according to God's will and his purpose of holiness and his righteousness. We're beginning to look at he judges these things from his will and his perspective and his qualities. That's the way we're going to be judged. That's the way ultimately we're going to function. We're going to function as God would have us function, and we'll be desiring in the future, not too distant future, to be able to look at God something and make all assumptions and judgment from his perspective. In looking at the title of this subject, how to get reconciled in the process of it, I was thinking that the most anguishing emotion any person, saved or unsaved, regenerated or unregenerated, can have is after we have sinned against God. That's the most anguishing emotion that we can experience. We, you know, we don't sin against people. We need to understand that. We do not sin against people. We just do people wrong and act wrongly toward them in some time in a violent way. We only sin against God. All of our sin is directly against God. And any time we do this, it brings an anguish into our soul that surpasses any type of anguish that about any other type of situation to which we will accustom ourselves in this classic time of our life. Now, different classes of people, they have different uh, repercussions from their sin. Some individuals have resisted the, the attempted correction of God to bring them back to truth to the point where they have sinned away their day of grace. And when this happens to them, they can no lo- they no longer hear the Holy Spirit. It's not that he can't speak to them, but their soul is so calloused that they can no longer hear the words of God. 
and the Holy Spirit cannot reach them anymore. And what a sad state this is to sense that we have no form of reconciliation of the, of the damage that has been done. Now, they don't know it. They no longer equate that with godly coming to deal with the problem. They just recognize that they have lost something and they, they have, quote, unquote, no hope in this world. And they recognize that there is a severe punishment coming to which they're going to answer. Now, they won't tell you this. And maybe even somewhat conscious, unconsciously, they know this, but consciously they don't because their soul is so seared. So they send away their dear grace and there are, they are forever lost and their ultimate goal will be to pass from this life and to hell. And that's why unsaved people have such a terrible problem with the subject of death. They can't face that. It's just impossible for them to deal with death and the aftermath of it. Some individuals, they just sin and say, well, I'm just going to try to do better. I won't try to to do bad. I'm just going to try to do some better things to make up for that. They can't do better. It's impossible for them to do that, to do better. You see, God's still trying to reach them at this point. They've not sent away their day of grace, but they're sending pretty flagrant sins often. But God is still reaching toward them and warning them and drawing them to, to help, let him help them into reconciling this sin to get it cleansed out of their life. God is warning that they will have to pay for this sins. The scripture is very clear, in fact, definitively clear that God tells and warns these people in their soul that they're going to have to pay for every sin, whether it's a trivial sin or a mighty sin. When people come away from an extramarital activity or a sin of sexual activity or a heinous sin or even a light one, there's a consequence that's that's felt into the soul that brings this anguish to them then that it can't be reconciled by any type of consolation again there's some individuals they recognize a deity they recognize well there's a god you know that the to whom they can just say well i'm sorry or they can just say i'm sorry uh this accomplishes absolutely nothing That's just like praying where people just say, oh, dear Lord or God. And at the end of their prayer, before they say anything, they just finish their little request. And then they say, amen. That prayer is just as worthless as saying uh, something. Mary had a little lamb. It accomplishes nothing more than that. These people who say, I'm just sorry, it accomplished nothing. And they are still in an unforgiven state and the anguish is still with them. Then there are Christians who are individuals and before the Lord, and they recognize that they have to do some things. They recognize that they have sinned against God and his word. There's a realization that's been quickened to them by the Holy Spirit because now God is reaching to them as his child. He's he's discipling them, and he is correcting them verbally, in their spirit, 
and sometime chastening if they don't listen to that, but he's going to get that uh, recognition into their soul. So they ask God to forgive their transgression. Now, this, when, when, when a Christian does this, this is not just a casual request. Now, an unsafe person, they can cry out, oh, God, help me. But God's not honored to hear that request because God's looking for uh, a prayer of salvation, acknowledge him as Savior of their soul. So God can hear that prayer, but he's not honor-bound to do anything about it. Now, sometimes he does, uh, and we'll look at some of that. But uh, he's not honor-bound as he is with his children. He has committed himself to his children to deal on that. So when they ask God out of a out of a, a recognition that they sinned against God and his word, against his holiness, and they ask God to forgive them, this is not a casual request. It's a request that comes out of a broken heart, a desperation type of a situation. They're recognizing that forgiveness and peace is at stake. Peace in the soul and peace in the spirit and peace with mankind and peace in actions are at stake in getting God's forgiveness. And the answer to this kind of a prayer for ask forgiveness can only come only from God. It's a unilateral movement of God. They can only ask and then God has to answer their request. There's no other way to get it done. Only God can cleanse sin. Man tries to hide, find some way to cleanse, get their own sins cleansed, but there's no way from the first time we sin after our age of accountability until God cleanses that. There's no way to get free of the guilt of that sin except God unilaterally deals with that. Now, prayerfully and thankfully, he listens to his children and his ears are open to their cry. Now, between the time that they make this broken-hearted recognition of God that is, he is, he, they have to appeal to him and he only can ask for their prayer, then there's a waiting period that they must go through while God is considering their prayer request. Now, sometimes it may seem like God answers that instantaneously, and other times it seems like it takes an infinitely long period of time. But to God, God is in charge of time. To him, he governs time. Only we are subject to time. God is not subject to time. He operates transcendent of time. So there is a waiting period while the one has made the request and while God decides how he's going to deal with that prayer request and the granting of it. And during this waiting period, sometimes this is a very hard time for an individual because while they are waiting, they feel still feel the anguish of the shame of that sin, the shame of it that lingers. They feel like everybody knows about their sin and that there's a there's a fear about it that it's not been done and their soul is in a tra- traumatic, desperate state to get it done. They feel that isolation from the comforting word and fellowship with God. They feel loved love starved. They no longer have that love flow between them and, and God because of the shame and the fear and the desperation and the isolation. They are a non-functional person at this point. And when God, when this 
in this waiting period, there comes the place while they're doing that, that God now begins to deal unilaterally in his process with the activation of the answer to this prayer. And it goes like this in the activation process. This is what goes on in heaven that will be such a blessing to you, knowing how great is our God and what a forgiving God he is and what it costs him to forgive us our sins. Because the first thing that God has done, when you sin and I sin, it's not the first time that God heard about that sin or knew about it. He has been long-suffering in dealing with that. He has been patient while his child is learning that sin has consequences. We have to come to that knowledge. Uh, We grow in the knowledge of that and the functioning of that. And there is a meekness in this long-suffering. That's what it means. Long-suffering has to do with a meekness. And meekness does not, as the world perceives it to be, some timid, little, wimpy-looking individual. No, this is a meekness that has in its definition in in the in the Greek rendering of that what God looks at in the long suffering what's going on with him there's a uh, mildness of of disposition that he wants to impart this is something that they were going to have to learn that God is going to put into them while he's dealing with the long suffering in this that meekness is going to be Im- embedded in that meekness is going to be the, uh, a mildness of disposition which is part of God's disposition. There is going to be a gentleness of spirit that we need to, that comes out of that, that in the meek process of that long suffering. That's one of the things that God's going to be teaching through the meekness of the long suffering definition. There is a self-control. Let me just add here kind of a, a, an asterisk. You can have self-control. God gives us the ability to do that. And the stronger we get in God, the more we love him, the more self-control we can exercise. As a young Christian, that's pretty weak. And uh, and we have to pay some consequences in that as young Christians. But as we progress in the Lord and have to go through the process we're learning today, then in that meekness, there is embedded within that part of God's nature of self-control. God never gets anguish. He never gets out of control anger. He God gets angry just as he allows us to get angry, but it, he, he says that we can do that. But we just can't sin and do it. So it, embedded in this long suffering while God is dealing with a problem, he's been waiting through his long suffering and that meekness to deal inside of the, the sinner who's looking for help a mildness of disposition, a gentleness in the, in the spirit. You look at somebody who's been with God a long, long time. You can perceive on their countenance, and when you're around them, there's a an aura about them of gentleness of spirit about them, that they have a, a great amount of self-control. You look at them sometimes and say, oh, I wish I, I could act as you do or, or think as you do. Well, they didn't get that easily, I can assure you. They they were not born a new Christian with those things embedded. They had to learn those. The long-suffering is processing in that, and God had been waiting for that sinner to come to that point where they would ask him, and his long-suffering then can start functioning. And then out of the long-suffering, the grace of God starts being manifest. And here is where God begins to formulate 
the parts of his personal nature that that needs to be installed in that one request. So he's going to put some of his grace nature into that request, his nature, with his, his methodology of acting, the way he responds to events. God has a way of responding that we don't. Now, we're going to be growing in that, and in time, when we get on the other side of the veil, we'll function in that. But right now, we need to be learning how he deals with things through the grace process, the methodology of his acting, the way his, his actions show uh, his grace functioning. There's a, uh, in his grace, there's an embedded in his grace gratitude and thankfulness to his Father and to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord Jesus Christ and for the what God has done for his creation. There's an appreciation for gifts that have been given to the receiver. We, we pass up so many thankfulness and being uh, great and gracious. We get the word gracious out of this grace. We can, we can exercise graciousness. That just kind of in, in earthly terms, worldly terms, that just means being, just showing kindness to somebody, just saying a thank as you're, or, or here, go, go in the door before I do. Or let me just help you with that. Let me carry those groceries to your car for you. Let me just put up your cart at the grocery store. Let, let, let me, let me help you lift that. Let, let me let me do something for you that you need doing. It's gratitude and thanksgiving. Uh, that's in, that's part of God's nature that's being shown through His grace. Through grace, I'll show the appreciation of gifts. And I was in the grocery store not long ago picking up some groceries, and I was looking at the shelves. They were lined. You could pick one item, and there may be 20 variations of that item. And it crossed my spirit of how God, good God is to allow me to have been born into the United States where I can have abundance all around me encompassing about me. We can live with quality water and quality air, quality homes. We can have quality jobs and quality future. We can have protection. We can have good roads to drive, transportation, and uh, all types of good things that we can enjoy, air conditioning in, in the summer and heat in the winter. We can have abundance of clothes in our closet, abundance of foods in our pantry. And we don't, we're not thankful for those things. So I'm prompting you out of this teaching in this area right here. Learn to be grateful for what the gifts that God has given you, your family, your wife, and treasure those things. Don't let people steal the quality of the gifts that God has given to you. Embedded in his grace also is a part of his nature where that recognize the favor has been shown by someone. When, when you start feeling the forgiveness of God taking place, it's because God's, his, his, that part of his grace, his favor has been demonstrated to you. We can see that in our children. We show them grace sometimes when we could punish them. And yet, uh, they they can look at our face sometimes as they mature a little bit, and they can see that they they that they're receiving favor when we don't punish them severely or just give them a talking to. So we've seen God's long suffering out of that; His grace is functioning, and out of the grace, His mercy comes springing forth. The word Greek would be to spring would be genocide, just spring forth like like a something just springs upon us. Uh, though this mercy is, is not required, yet it's lovingly granted. God does not have to give us mercy. 
but it's lovingly granted to his children and into all those who will be reaching in any way to him. He grants that even to the unsaved people. He tells us in uh, Romans, uh, I think it's Romans uh, chapter 7, where he, he pours out his goodness and his grace upon people and mercy upon them just to draw them to him. And how many are there? So, let me phrase it, phrase it this way. There are so few people who recognize that when good things happen to them, that it's God showing it for them. This, this mercy is, is a loving, a lovingly granted. It's not a casual pity, but it's a compassionate, sympathetic pity that God recognizes your and my pitiful state when we sin. We don't have a plan B. I'm telling you, friend, when you sin before God, you do not have, there is no plan B in this life or any other life. That sin is going to be paid for in heaven or in hell or through it be forgiven in the process that we're dealing right now. It, God's mercy is not casual pity. It is a compassionate, sympathy, empathetic feeling for your down and my pitiful state of where we are. We're so frail. We are so frail. It's to feel empathy with the requester's misery. The misery that we're feeling, God feels that. He, he feels everything that goes on in our bodies, soul, and our spirit. So when we're feeling joyous or when we're feeling happy, also when we're feeling miserable, when after sin, when we feel all the emotions I spoke about earlier, God empathizes with that. He feels our misery. He recognizes that Embedded in that is a an understanding, unconsciously maybe, that we don't have a way out of this mess except God move. There's a mercy grasping of our helplessness of the sinner who does that in making the request. There's a helplessness in that. And out of this mercy, the, the, the long-suffering and the grace and the mercy, then God starts sending his forgiveness. And at this stage, all the factors have to be submitted to God, the Father, for his decision. It is he who makes the decision based on how it's presented to him. So God, the Father, hears the case. That's like a judicial a lawyer presenting a case, a prosecutor presenting the case to a judge. And it, this case is presented by Jesus Christ to the Father on on the prayer request store's behalf. And when that case is presented, then uh, God, at this point, has to judge that because the person at this point is still guilty before God the Father and his word. So now Jesus does an intercessory prayer presentation based upon the fact that this child is a child of God. This one who making the request is a child of God. And then God the Father renders his divine judicial judgment. Now, you need to hear what I just said. God hears this. He meditates on it. And then he makes a multitude of decisions about it. And then he renders a divine, heavenly, judicial judgment. He does not only pardon as the courts in this world does. You see, in the courts where there's pardon, the one is only excused from the penalty. Therefore, it's still on record. If a, if a, a governor or a president or a court pardons someone, 
It's not that they didn't commit the crime. They've just been pardoned from it. If they, if they get pardoned out of prison or jail, the, the charge was still there. They just got pardoned from the charge. But the good thing about God is when he renders this judicial divine judgment, he orders that all of the offense, plural and singular, be stricken from the ledger and from the books. That's why when the books are open in heaven, when we stand before the white throne judgment for unsaved people or the Bema Seat of Christ, which is a totally different judgment for as a Christian for our sins, God's not going to bring up the sins that have been forgiven. I didn't intend to say this, but let me say it right here. It's, it's going to be a very rare circumstance when a Christian dies just having been cleansed from God from every sin. That's going to be a very rare, rare, rare occurrence. Now, no priest can come in and give you any kind of mass. That's not going to do it. They can come in and give you mass in, uh, until they pass out in the floor, but that's not going to cleanse anything. A person has to get cleansing personally from God. So as a Christian, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, he's not going to bring up any of the sins that we've been forgiven for. But when we die, there's, there's probably going to be some sins in our life that we're not forgiven for. But at that point, God is going to cleanse those by the blood of Jesus. He's not going to remember the old ones. They're under his blood of forgiveness, covering for those and uh, and removing those far away. There again, those sins, some people deal with those sins never happened. No, they did happen. When when God forgives a sin, they're in his sea of forgetfulness. It just says he's not going to remember those, and they'll never come back to haunt us anymore. But the sins that we die with, they will be remembered, but... Jesus is going to present the case at that time saying, God, their heart would have repented had they had the time. And until then, they are covered by my blood. And God the Father then says to the Holy Spirit, he says to the Holy Spirit, once he's judged the case, this is a blank request uh, uh, from the spirit and the soul of forgiveness. I'm telling you, God says to the Holy Spirit, this, I'm giving you a blanket request in their spirit and then their soul that they are forgiven of this sin and any sins that are affixed to it. When this happens in an individual and God's forgiveness comes, uh, when he gives that forgiveness decree and when it's received into that sinner's heart, He's no more a sinner. He is cleansed. And let me interject this right too as a, as a pastor. We need to let God help us not remember those things anymore that he's forgiven us. If he's forgiven us, let him help us for us not to remember them, not carry that old baggage around for you. I've seen people carry stuff around for 20 and 30 years still mad at someone that something had happened 20 or 30 years. Maybe the individual did not even know that they had sinned, or maybe they willfully sinned, you know, and hurt you. 
and people are, are someone, and that one is still carrying that baggage around, and they're having terrible nightmares about it and travail of soul, when it, then they could move on from that and have joy where there was pain. So when this divine decree of, of uh, being cleansed and forgiven comes, then that one who was a sinner is now cleansed, and they begin to feel that wonderful spiritual euphoria, total, perfect cleansing of the spirit and of soul. That's why when you go before God as a Christian and you ask his forgiveness and He and you feel this happen, that he's, he's forgiven you, it may seem a, a moment or it may take a longer time, but when you start feeling that you have been cleansed, that that's, that's why you feel like you've, uh, an analogy is if you come out after being out in a mud puddle in the rain and gotten dirty and you come and you take a nice shower, how cleansing you feel in the natural. And yet when you get cleansed of sin, you have that total feeling of cleansing in your soul, in your spirit. You feel like you can just leap, your heart leaps like a, a like a lark and, uh, and sings like a lark. The total cleansing. We don't, we can't know that. In anything that happens outside of God, we can't know that in anything in the world. There's a peace that passes understanding. God says he'll do that for you. When you're dealing with something, he'll give you a peace that passes understanding. And there's an immediate restoration, immediate restoration, immediate. I'm, I'm saying this to embed it into your thinking, immediate restoration of that Kinship, kinship that you had with God. Now you have that again, that unity of purpose with God, that joy that's unfettered. You feel that lightness of soul, that uh, revitalizing of your life. Now you're not feeling life as a carnal life or as an earthly life anymore. When you're cleansed by God and forgiven, you start feeling his Zoe life the God kind of life, that divine motive, re-motivation starts to serve you. Maybe while in that fallen state, your ministry fell apart. You couldn't minister when you, you had sin plaguing you. Oh, I know some people get along on it for a little while. You know, they, they, you, you never know that, but all of a sudden the truth comes forth that, that they've been dealing with sin for decades in their life. Well, that, that's, can seem like a decade to them, but it's it's always fresh with God, and it's always fresh with them. And they they couldn't function normally when there's a, when there's a, a situation between a husband and wife where adultery has taken place, or in a single person life where they've had a a, a, a sexual encounter. There's there's a a problem that never is never passes. It's always there. There's a keenness, once you've been cleansed, of never intentionally wounding God or wounding the Lord. I like to use the word Lord here instead of God, although when you deal with the Lord, you're dealing with God. But rest restoration in this takes place of a keenness of never again wanting to wound the Lord. Now, I think this is where maturity really starts to, you can tell when you're mature, in other words, when you Stop fearing the fear of, of, of sinning against God because he's going to wound you or beat you or, or cast some disease or something upon you. And you mature to the place where there's a peace with God. There's restoration feelings with God. You have a understanding about more about God. Then you, you start to develop that feeling that 
I don't ever want to hurt God again. I, he, I'm his child and he's my father. I just love him so much that I don't want to wound him. I don't want him to have to weep in the spirit. I don't want him to, to feel sadness because his child has been disobedient. I want to do nothing but please him. Now, I know that I can say to myself here, I'm going to do some self-introspection. Oh, I know that I don't want to hurt God, but I, I will in some way because I'm trying to reach his holiness. He's trying to perfect his holiness and these qualities that we've looked at in me. And yet I realize that in this life, I'm going to sin against him in some fashion. and But out of that, praise God, out of every restoration and forgiveness, you're stronger and I'm stronger in the Lord. And we're more fortified not to go forth and certainly never try to do that thing again the same way. We're supposed to mature. And like we expect our natural children, when we teach them a truth about morals and quality of life, we expect them to go forth and if they make a mistake, Never to make that exact mistake the same way again. Forgiveness has happened, and when one is forgiven, they find a new energy. Oh, that what, the, what they used to enjoy the Lord is multiplied back to them in joy. They find that new energy to work for God. They find a, a fresh anointing because God pours a fresh anointing oil upon them, which soothes and comforts. That's what an oil does if you put it on a burn or a wound. It soothes, and that's what God does to us. He pours a fresh anointing oil on our soul and on our spirit. But our prayer life, where it was before there was a schism between us and God, now we have a, an open flow to and from God of our prayer closet and our open prayer and our intercessory prayer actions. There's a spiritual family unity that has once and again be uh, being united and restored within the family of God and with God himself. First of all, with God himself. And then we can have peace with the family of God. We can now more freely go back to that one baby that we sinned again against. We have more liberty and more boldness to go back and put our feelings aside because of our meekness and say, please forgive me. I hurt you. I'm so sorry. Or I perceived that I hurt you. If I did, forgive me in Jesus' name. I, I didn't mean to do that. Or if I did, if I meant to do it, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Now, you're here again. They don't have to forgive you. The fact that you ask them to is all that's required of you. If they do, then and you get a verification that they've received that, that's wonderful. But your only obligation is to act unilaterally and seek restoration and reconciliation. If they choose not to do that, well, you just have to move on and pray for them. So the ability to receive also wisdom after your prayer request and your plans have taken place, you have the new ability to receive wisdom from God. He gives you words of wisdom. He gives you words of knowledge. Uh, how many times has God given me personally words of wisdom and knowledge that saved me money and saved me aggravation and problems and long-term trepidations and situations when I was good, would have been committed to something and people and circumstances and programs and, and, and people and, and organizations that I did not want to be associated with. He gave me wisdom and words of knowledge and he gave me understanding uh, this is something you can ask God for. 
And he says, he, he'll give you any, every time you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. If you ask for it every 30 seconds, God, God says he'll give it to you more every 30 seconds. So you can now receive, a, when you've get, gotten the forgiveness, out of that comes the ability to receive wor- words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and understanding. God can teach you to understand things that before you did not know under, uh, how to understand those. You are now in the as a forgiven state, and that one is now even more equipped to serve God. Just as steel, when it's been welded together, is stronger. The Christian that has sinned and sought God's forgiveness, you never come away weaker. You never come away as you were in your soul. You always come away strengthened by God, and you come away from that more equipped to serve God. Not that one, I'm not advocating that a person sin so that they can become more equipped to help God. God forbid if you even thought that. So let me make that perfectly clear. We don't go out and commit sin so that we can be more equipped to help God. We, we seek that divine forgiveness to be more available to be utilized by God. You see, God does not use people and worldly people and organizations use people, and then they discard them. The devil uses people, and then he, to do his will and to break families and people apart and to cause these trepidations to come into the soul that needs forgiveness, just as I'm dealing with now with sinners and Christians alike. But... When, this, when that happens and forgiveness comes, we're more equipped because we're stronger. We always come out of it stronger. And again, I'm reminded of what prefaced this, that wonderful old hymn. And in, in that is embedded in this teaching today. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, marvelous grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. We've looked at that subject, how sins are processed to establish reconciliation with God. It's been so good talking with you and to you. I encourage you to listen to this teaching many times. Pass it on to a friend let them know where you found it. Maybe they can look at Rafa Ministers World. They'll find other things there. And also you can go to Lee West Ministry and you'll find a lot of other things on that YouTube site that will bless you also. Again, thank you for being with us. I pray that something is said and I believe it has blessed you. As you meditate on this, uh, God is going to go continue to bless and increase you. Until next time in our next teaching, Or in heaven, I say, Lord bless you richly.